0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Companies and investors no longer want slow incremental change. They expect everything to happen in the span of just a few hours. The new idea is called mega change, where policies and trends are disrupted and change seemingly on the fly. That idea is brought forth in the new book by Daryl West, who's a vice president and director of governance studies at the Brookings Institution. He's also founding director of the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings and editor-in-chief of Tech Tank. And Daryl joins us on the show right now. Daryl, welcome.
1: Dan, nice to be with you.
0: Thank you very much. I'll start with the idea of all of this happening in this landscape Uh, with everything that we have and and all the connection ability that we have, should realistically we be surprised that we're talking about a term like mega change and and all of these things happening in such a quick fashion?
1: Well, we shouldn't be surprised because there's large-scale change taking place all around us. But it's... Something people have not quite gotten used to. I mean, during a lot of our history, uh, we existed in a period of small scale and incremental change. And so I argue in the book, people need to adjust their expectations because large scale change is here and is likely to stay in the near future.
0: And you mentioned in the book that uh, mega change has had a historical Uh, line to it. It's just, you know, it it is varied because of what was going on in a country or in a portion of the world at that particular time. It seems
1: like once... uh every uh, one or two uh, generations, we just have an explosion of large things happening. So, you know, when you look at American history, the 1850s and 1860s, we were dealing with slavery, had a civil war to uh, resolve that. And then as we moved into the 20th century and just the transition from an agrarian life to industrialization, there were lots of economic and political consequences of that. We had the Great Depression, and then lots of uh, policy changes that took place there. And then the 1960s were a period of great uh, change in terms of culture and a lifestyle, so we see these types of errors that happen uh, periodically. And today, we're kind of in the midst of another example of mega change.
0: But are, are there any common themes to why these these changes happen uh, over the course of time? I mean, we're, you're talking about a variety of different things in the book, whether that be uh, it, you know events that involve war, uh, events well now that involve terrorism, obviously things politically that happen. Is there a commonality link there somewhere? The common link in a number of them is really
1: fundamental economic transformation. So, Early in the 20th century, when we moved from an agrarian to an industrial world, it was just profoundly upsetting in terms of people were moving from the rural areas to the cities. They were getting jobs in these large manufacturing uh, uh, plants. And so it just changed the way people earned a living. And then there's a lot of wealth concentration. So it had a lot of political consequences as well. Today, we are moving from that industrial era into the world of a digital economy. And we're seeing a similar type of disruption jobs are changing, people are getting anxious about the future and, you know, what uh, life will be like for their uh, children. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of that manifest in this uh, campaign, both in the form of uh, the Trump campaign, as well as the Bernie Sanders campaign, of just people being nervous about all these large-scale economic changes.
0: We're joined by Daryl West of the Brookings Institution. He's the vice president and director of governance studies. He's also the author of a new book called Mega Change, Economic Disruption, Political Upheaval and social strife in the 21st century if, for seemingly i think every year we have some sort of strife level uh on, you know on social issues and obviously here in the united states we're going through it right now with all of the issues between uh, the african american community and police forces i mean this is this is one of those periods of time that i think uh, definitely is marked down as something that a lot of people are going to remember and hopefully look to change here in the in the future
1: There are a lot of big social changes that are taking place, certainly all the tensions surrounding race. It's obviously not a new issue in American politics, but sometimes that issue is more quiet. Sometimes it's uh, uh, more uh, turbulent, and now is a a turbulent time. But we're also seeing uh, lifestyle changes, you know, the rise of the marriage equality uh, movement, uh, legalization of marijuana. So there's a lot of things going on. And what I argue in the book is large-scale change makes people nervous. If anything, saying, you know, this, uh, this is kind of an age of anxiety. Uh, people are nervous about uh, the economic situation, the social situation, mm-hmm. and then all of that ends up having political consequences.
0: And, and it usually ends up being a situation that you lay out in the book that where a, a particular move is made, but there obviously has to be a counter move made because of that nervousness. And maybe there's a, a counter move to the counter move as well.
1: Absolutely. I mean, revolutions rarely are complete. Uh, What typically happens is some large-scale change takes place. But then people get upset about that and there's kind of a counter-movement, a uh, counter-revolution. And then out of that, you can get something uh, completely different. You know, we saw that in the case of the French Revolution where there was a revolt against the monarch. They uh, guillotined him. Uh, There was a short-term democracy, but there's a lot of turbulence, uh, chaos, and out of that came Napoleon. So, you know, sometimes large-scale change can end up with very unpredictable Ramifications uh, out of this fight of the revolution and the counter-revolution.
0: Do you expect that, especially with what we we have going on now here in the United States with the political race? Uh, what kind of uh, of impacts do you think that that this will have? on our country over the next four years. I mean, it, it may be a, a little bit of a wide question to ask, but I think it, with some of the concepts you're bringing up here, you, you can probably have an idea as to where some of these changes are going gonna to play themselves out.
1: Well, this campaign clearly has produced a lot of anger and anxiety just resulting from uh, the economic changes, the rise of new uh, digital uh, technologies, the conflict uh, among uh, social groups, And, you know, even if Hillary Clinton ends up winning this uh, campaign, it's like, you know, Trump will probably get at least 40 percent of the uh, vote. Uh, If you add the Trump voters and the Sanders voters together, they basically constitute a majority of the electorate. So whoever the next president is, is going to have to deal with that, you know, even though, uh, you know, Trump – uh, may not uh, win, Trumpism is going to survive. and just yeah. the anxiety about globalization, trade relations, uh, the economic uh, changes, the loss of manufacturing jobs,
0: the next president's going to have to deal with all of that anxiety. You spend some time uh, talking in the book about how people and organizations really need to think about dealing with all of this mega change. What are some of the ideas that that, that you bring forth?
1: organizations and businesses have to understand that it is a period of large-scale change and lots of disruption. And so people need to adjust their expectations. A lot of our memories are actually pretty short-term. You know, People have civic memories of maybe 20 or 25 years. So I argue in the book, we need to pay more attention to history and organizations need to pay more attention to history. Because if we're looking for parallels to understand the current situation, it may not be anything that has happened in the last 25 or even 50 years, it may be something that happened 100 years ago Mm -hmm. or 250 years ago. Like some of the uh, global developments in terms of the rise of uh, ISIS, you know, you really have to go back almost 500 years uh, to find something like that organization.
0: We're joined uh, by uh, Daryl West, who is with the uh, Brookings Institution, Vice President and Director of Governance Studies. Uh, We're talking about his new book called Mega Change. 844-WHARTON is the number if you'd like to in and give us a comment or a call, 844-942-7866. One of the other uh, kind of mega changes that we've seen is really dealt in terms of the, uh, uh, the, how the Catholic Church has had to deal with so many different issues over the last, probably what, 30 to 40 years or so. The Catholic Church, probably what a lot of people knew uh, you know many years ago, is certainly different than what it is today and probably uh, is going to continue to change over the next few years.
1: Absolutely. I mean, people often are thinking about a change just in terms of either economics or politics. But here, just when you look at the last decade of the Catholic Church, it's gone through major changes. Just uh, when you compare, like, the last three popes that we've had, uh, like, uh, the first two are very different from the current pope, just in terms of uh, the general uh, philosophy, the uh, type of uh, uh, approach uh, that he is bringing to some of the uh, difficult uh, social issues uh, facing the church. So even a supposedly stable organization like the Catholic Church that has uh, been around for uh, 2,000 years is now going through lots of uh, changes. And and sometimes a change that pushes in one direction is upsetting and will generate a, a counter uh, sentiment that e- emerges in that organization.
0: One of the main themes of, of the book is the fact that these mega changes will continue to happen uh, as, as we go on uh, with our lives and, and society goes on. But in terms of the actual kind of events that happen within them, Like, uh, let's just say terrorism for right now, which obviously is is something that a lot of people think about. Uh, Is that is the is the actual idea itself, the talking about terrorism and understanding that's here to stay. Is that something you expect to be a constant? Will these mega changes themselves be constant in a society or is it uh, basically a, you know, a one by one situation figuring out whether or not they are or not?
1: Well, what happens is each mega change that emerges ends up disrupting the entire situation and leads to other types of mega changes. So uh, in the case of terrorism, you know, one of the problems the world faces is just the rise of extremism in a number of different uh, regions around the world. And then when we see extremists in other countries acting in this really crazy way and beheading people, it's very upsetting uh, to us. And sometimes we end up overreacting uh, and kind of responding almost in an extreme uh, direction ourselves. So, you know, one of the examples I talk about in the book is after the San Bernardino uh, shootings, uh, Trump came out with his famous comment that we should ban Muslims. Immediately, terrorist organizations included that part of his speech in their recruiting videos and said, you know, this proves – that America is engaged in a war on Islam. And so we can almost end up in this very bad situation where extremism abroad can breed extremism at home, and you get this really bad interaction effect between those two things.
0: You also mentioned uh, about how... uh, These mega changes have, to a degree, affected uh, the political structure uh, of our country uh, in the fact that uh, if you go back, you know, 40, 50 years, you probably had a lot more people that would consider themselves moderate. Uh, And that from some of the data you push forward, uh, the idea of being moderate, whether you're Republican or Democrat, is really going away right now
1: we have lost almost all of the moderates in the U.S. Congress, both on the Republican as well as on the Democratic side. And I argue that these governance developments are actually making our policy problems a lot worse. Because when you have a lot of economic dislocations and people are anxious as a result of that, you know, we could actually deal with that if, government takes actions to uh, kind of help relieve that distress. I mean, if you go back early in the 20th century, that's exactly what happened. Like, people were upset about the move to industrialization, but there were policy actions, there were new social programs, there were worker retraining uh, programs, there was education assistance. It kind of eased the transition, and we ended up uh, coming out of that okay. Today, we have all these problems, and government seems paralyzed. We have polarization, there's a lot of gridlock, Congress can really uh, pass much in the way of legislation and so people end up being upset both by the policy problems and the mega changes that are taking place but our inability then to deal with the consequences of those mega changes so unless we can do a better job in governing ourselves we end up making our own situation a lot worse
0: so then is it your expectation that With this kind of the dysfunction we've seen here in in our country with uh, with uh, Washington, D.C. and our politicians, that that will continue because to a degree the mega change just kind of leads into that dysfunction to a degree. It very well could continue, but a lot of it depends on
1: uh, the election. Uh, You know, if Clinton, for example, ends up getting a Democratic Senate, uh, but the House remains Republican, then the easy prediction is gridlock is likely to continue. The House of Republicans will block things that she wants to do. People are going to end up four years from now being upset, saying, you know, we had a new president. She wasn't able to uh, do anything. You know, we're still uh, worried about all these uh, economic uh, changes. But if, on the other hand, she ends up getting a Democratic Congress, both the House and the Senate, she might be able to take some actions that will alleviate some of the public discontent. And then four years from now, people might say, oh, we had all these problems four years ago. We've made progress. You know, We've developed uh, new programs. People might feel better at that point.
0: And, and obviously part of this is also the fact that, that it, it, is, it is such a global idea. Uh, mega change. Uh you, you bring up a variety of different instances of things going on around the globe. Obviously, Iran is a, is a big thing right now. The Brexit is playing itself right now. Uh, what's going on in Russia with their impact on, uh, on Syria, that, t- that type of thing. Obviously, we, we've had a variety of issues with Brazil and Venezuela. So th- this is not exclusive to the United States in any way, shape or form.
1: Uh, absolutely not uh, and in fact what we're seeing in this time period is whatever happens in one part of the world affects a lot of other uh, regions in part because the communications technology is uh, global and grievances that might used to have been local problems now can go viral and we could end up getting upset by something happening in Ethiopia or Somalia or uh, in uh, Iraq and so the uh, and a lot of the governance problems uh, that I uh, point out out here certainly are not limited to uh, the United States. I mean, uh, the European Union uh, is having uh, huge problems right now. The United Kingdom uh, obviously just voted to uh, leave the European uh, Union. Uh, China is having uh, issues. Yeah. Uh, Russia is becoming much more aggressive. And so when you look all around the world, the thing that worries me the most going forward is just the governance angle is very problematic in a lot of different places. Yeah. And so we clearly have the ability to cope with the economic changes that are taking place. But if governance is flawed in virtually every country, then our ability to actually take constructive action is going to be very limited.
0: If you're looking at a lot of these these different examples, how many of them end up leading to change that's good? And how many of them, you know, if you're putting a, you know, breaking a 50-50 or 60-40, how many lead to good? And how many just lead to more frustration or, or more issues, as you say, kind of that chain reaction down the line?
1: I mean, there certainly are lots of positive mega changes that can uh, take place. I mean, you know, people have uh, greater access to uh, education, and uh, you know, generally that has been a, uh, a positive uh, development in many countries. But in the book, I'm focusing on more of the problematic examples of yeah. mega change because those are the ones we should worry about. Those are the ones that are creating the risks: the risk for democracy, the risk for capitalism, uh, the risk of large-scale uh, social. Uh, uh, destabilization of the sort that, you know, we're seeing in uh, Europe now with the refugee uh, crisis. So, yeah. you know, when you get people moving around, it, it just disrupts things. It makes people uh, nervous and uh, bad things can come out of that.
0: Is there a way, do you think, that that you can try and bring uh, countries together to realize the effect of these mega changes and try and work to to try and eliminate them to a degree?
1: Well, this is what the world did in 1945. You know, we had the devastation of World War II. And afterwards, people basically came together. They created uh, new institutions. They, you know, we had the Marshall Plan to rebuild uh, Europe. I mean, there are a number of positive things that came out of what was a terrible uh, uh, period in uh, world history. And so clearly what we need today is some equivalent uh, example of that. Uh, You know, new institutions that can do a better job governing here, uh, uh, new ways to extend uh, aid to other places around the world uh, that are struggling. But our capacity to take these actions uh, still is pretty limited. And so it's the reason I argue we need to go back and study history because there have been many cases where the world has been at a crisis point, but we took effective action, resolved the situation, and things were able to uh, move forward. Clearly, you know that's what we need to do today.
0: Going back to terrorism for a second, because I think a lot of people, with the fact that uh, some of the recent incidents incidents have happened in Uh, France—obviously Belgium was was a a spot for a terrorist attack—that there haven't been enough changes. And and to a degree, you know, obviously it's a process and it has to play out, but I think a lot of people would have expected more change in a quicker manner. When you're talking about terrorism over in Europe, that has seemingly been something that has been with that region of the world for for several decades—
1: Yeah. Many European governments have been surprisingly slow to deal with the threats within their own uh, borders. And, you know, you mentioned the various uh, terrorist attacks that have uh, taken place there. European governments spend a lot less on security than has been uh, the case in the United States. So it's probably no accident that we keep seeing repeats of uh, terrorist attacks there because they simply haven't responded in a way uh, to both deal with the problem and then also reassure their own people uh, that they are going to be safe. So, you know, governments need uh, to get uh, tougher uh, in uh, that area. Uh, The United States certainly has uh, gotten uh, tougher as well. Uh, But, you know, that's an issue that is going to continue to create problems around the world.
0: One of the other interesting, and it's topical right now, is the prison system here in the United States. And you kind of look at that from a historical perspective in this as well. When you
1: look at the levels of incarceration just over the last few decades, it's striking just how many people the United States has uh, put in uh, prison so yeah. uh, I, I I like to point out examples of of where uh, that has taken place but that now is generating a counter movement that we've gone too far in that uh, regard and there are a number of people fighting for sentencing reform uh, criminal justice reform arguing that you know there are other ways to keep the country safe without uh, putting millions of people in uh, in prison so you know that's an example of where we're starting to think about the changes that actually could improve that situation.
0: And seemingly there are so many of these issues that are out there, it's not like there is one overriding issue that, that needs this change. I mean, there are so many that, that can be, can be viewed from a variety of different angles that need to be need to be addressed we're living in a world of tidal waves. And as
1: you just mentioned, it's not just one wave. If, we're, if it were just one thing, it would be pretty simple to uh, address that. But yeah. there are multiple tidal waves. Uh, they sometimes move in contradictory directions. Uh, it's uh, confusing. It's chaotic. It's hard to uh, deal with. And that's what makes the current period uh, very uh, difficult because it's not like there's one thing we can do and suddenly uh, things are going to get better. There are lots of things that we need to do simultaneously. And that's the reason we have have to get our governing act together uh, yeah. because, in a very
0: complex uh, period, it's important to take effective action. Daryl, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you again. Thank you, Dan. You got it. Mega Change is the name of the book Economic Disruption, Political Upheaval, and Social Strife in the 21st Century. Thanks uh, very much to uh, Daryl West of the Brookings Institution joining us on the show. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.